0: Well, good morning. Welcome to the church at Avenue South. We're so glad that you're here this morning, especially if you're visiting on this holiday weekend. Uh, Tomorrow is Memorial Day, so it's Memorial Day weekend. This is a time in our nation where we, yes, remember those who have served, but we also acknowledge those who have paid the ultimate sacrifice and laid down their lives so that we can have freedom and have life. And so we're so grateful for that. Uh, as Christians, followers of Christ, followers of Jesus, uh, we live in this life kind of in two different kingdoms. We've got one leg in an eternal kingdom, knowing that we can have as much Jesus right here and now as we want, but that our eternal destiny is in a literal place with Jesus forever. That's That's coming. And the other leg is planted in this earthly or worldly kingdom, and the republic that we have been raised in. And so we're so grateful to be part of observing and celebrating and benefiting from the men and women who've served our country. So uh, we want to honor and recognize that and thank you for your service, those of you who are retired or active that are in the room this morning. Uh, You may have picked up through our messaging this morning and through the prayer time that we are in a sermon series about having conversations with other people about Jesus. And we have affectionately called this Gospel Conversations. That's been the name of the sermon series. And the idea is that as followers of Jesus, if we truly believe that what we have discovered in Jesus is the greatest thing that's ever happened to us, then we will not keep that to ourselves. We will share that with others. And I think this church, and I think churches in general in North America, most of them are good, generally, about demonstrating the person of Jesus. And what I mean by that is I I look around this congregation and one of the hallmarks, the characteristics of your faithfulness is the way you serve. You give financially to meet needs in our community to bless others. That is the manifestation of Jesus in and through you so people can see that. Uh, I look around this room, um, hospitality and kindness are two characteristics of this church family. I know that firsthand. And so that's literally something that we do as a people to show others there is a God, and his name is Jesus, and he loves you. Um, But the scripture says that people look at all that, they see all that, they lean into the things of God, but the way they hear about Jesus and the way they come to faith in Jesus is by hearing Jesus' followers verbally share with them, audibly, this is who God is in the person of Jesus Christ, and you can know him. And so you and I should always have this thing Tension inside of us that we want to serve and minister, but we are always mindful that we've got, we've got to tell people. We've got to tell people about Jesus. Uh, Yesterday, um, I was looking for a tent to go camping in our backyard. Adventurous, I know it's going to take about 25 or 30 feet out from the back door into the yard. But the kids are going crazy over the last four or five days about camping in the backyard. Now, I would have given anything if they had asked 20 days ago, 30 days ago, when the temperature was 80, the humidity was low. But as it is, you walk outside, and the minute you open it up, you could cut the humidity with a knife, and you start sweating. You ever camped out, and while you're sleeping, you're perspiring? Like, this is so not the child-parent bonding experience I was really hoping for on Memorial Day weekend. But I realized we don't even have a tent anymore. We've outgrown as a family our previous tent. So I went to the store this weekend to look for a tent. Um, and when I walked in, uh, I'm standing there among all of the options, and the gentleman asked me, um, "Are you looking for a tent?" And I thought to myself, like, what gave it away?" But I said, "Yes, can you help me?" And he said, "Yeah, how are you doing?" And I'll be honest with you, maybe because I'm a pastor, maybe because we're in this sermon series, I'm just mindful when I meet people, do they know Jesus, or do they not? Do they know Jesus, or do they not? And I don't know if you think that way, live that way, behave that way. Uh, we should. Does this person know the God of the universe that we've prayed about, that we've praised and sung to, do they know he can be known through faith in Jesus? That was on my mind when Daniel asked me how I was doing. I wanted to know if he knew Jesus, but I did not start out by saying, well, you know what, Daniel? Psalm 116.7 says, be at rest once again, O my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. I didn't start there. I believe that. I want Daniel to know that, but I didn't start there. Nor did I say, you know what, Daniel? Psalm 34.8 says, taste and see that the Lord is good, and I am going to go taste and see in my three-tenths of an acre that the Lord is good and can be trusted. Would you help me get there? And that's not where I started, I was mindful that I want to have a gospel conversation with this individual, whether that's 30 minutes or whether I might become his friend over 30 years. It was boiling inside of me. And you and I should live with that tension that we should want to know where people are spiritually so that we might introduce them to Jesus. But one of the hallmarks of our faith is that we've got to start where people are you got to start where they are and then introduce them to the person of Jesus as the Holy Spirit gives you the opportunity. I pray that I would get to know Daniel better. I pray that I would have that opportunity. But you start where people are and you look for doors of opportunity that the Holy Spirit opens up. I want you to see a perfect example of that in the New Testament, a completely true story that is so applicable to us in 2019 in Nashville, Tennessee. So would you stand with me in honor of God's word this morning? And we're going to read from the book of Acts, and we're going to be reading in chapter 17, and we're going to read a true story about the Apostle Paul and his desire to share faith with others, but starting where he meets people. Verse 22 says this, Paul stood in the middle of the Areopagus, and he said, People of Athens, I see that you're extremely religious in every respect, for as I was passing through and observing the objects of your worship, I even found an altar on which was inscribed to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it. He is Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in shrines made by hands, neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. From one man, God has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. He did this so that they might seek God, and perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. For in him, God, we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we also are his offspring. And since we are God's offspring then... We shouldn't think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, some idol, an image fashioned by human art and imagination. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent because he has set a day when he's going to judge the world in righteousness by the man, Jesus, he is appointed. And he's provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Athenians, you are very smart, intellectual, philosophical, and I absolutely love that about you, but you're searching for the one true God, and you just did not know his name was Jesus, but he's given you life, he's given you breath, and he brought you to this moment so that you might seek him and find him today. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for waking us up and bringing us into this place this morning, You've given us life, you've given us breath, and you've brought us to this moment in history and in each of our lives so that we might seek you. And perhaps there's a woman or a man in this room who might seek you for the first time ever today and find out that you are not far from us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you just wandered into Acts 17, a little bit of context might be helpful. The Apostle Paul is a pastor. He's a church planter. He's a pastor. He loves the congregations of the churches that he plants, but he's also an evangelist, and he loves to show up in cities where no one has told anybody about Jesus and tell them about Jesus. There is a God. He can be known, and everything that can be known about God has been revealed to humans in the person of Jesus Christ. That's why we make so much of Jesus, because he is a window into the heart and the character and the nature of God. Oftentimes in the cities where Paul would preach, people responded. They had been longing and looking for something of substance, something that as we sung in moments of fear and sorrow, we sung a song about that a moment ago, could hold steady like an anchor, and they found that in Jesus And there were other people that had tremendous success in life, and they had all that the world could offer, but they still felt empty on the inside. And when they heard that what you're looking for is Jesus in a way that material and tangible things can't satisfy, they placed their faith in Jesus. So there were many, if not thousands of people who responded to the gospel in the cities where he went. But there were often, if not as many, more people who rejected what he taught. They got angry with Paul for professing that he knew the one true God. How intolerant, how dangerous for you to even suggest that you have the corner on the truth market. So the reason he's actually in Athens is he had already been run out of two other cities. He had been run out of Thessalonica. He had gone to an area named Berea and they had rioted and he had to leave for his own safety. And now he's in Athens. And while he's in Athens, he's waiting on two disciples, two young men that he had poured himself into, Timothy and Silas to come join him. So he's passing time in Athens. And I don't know if you have a little time on your hands and you're waiting on someone. I I don't know what you do when that happens, but maybe you're meeting someone at a restaurant and you get there early and so you just sit down at a table and you just people watch or you're observing what's happening and you're just passing time. That's all Paul's doing. And he's wandering around the streets of Athens and he sees a whole lot of idols. And what I mean by that is he literally saw idols that were fastened and shaped and created in the image of what the humans thought the gods might look like. There were gods of stone or gold or silver. We read about that. One of the things Paul mentioned is there are idols of gold, stone, and silver all throughout the city. In a North American first world culture, it's hard if you did not grow up around idols or temples to multiple deities and gods. It's hard to appreciate this. I went to Nepal in 2012, and when we got off the airplane, there was literally on the tarmac when you come down the steps, an idol there to a god of the Hindu faith. It was literally there. It's gold. It's shiny. And people knelt down to worship and to pray as many of us walked past it. That's the culture. That's the observation Paul makes. And the Bible tells us that in verse 18, or rather verse 16, Paul was very distressed about this. He was very burdened that they did not know the one true God. He, he was brokenhearted that they were very religious and very educated and very intellectual. Like, he respected that about them. But he was still brokenhearted that you are searching, you just don't know who God is. And so Paul is there walking through the city, and as he would often do, he would go into the public marketplace, and he would tell them who God is. You've been searching for the one true God, and he has manifested himself. He's revealed himself in the person of Jesus. And Jesus can offer you purpose. And he can offer you value and worth and everything you've been looking for. That's his name. And many of the religious leaders and philosophical leaders were fascinated by this. Because verse 21 tells us all of the Athenians and everybody living in Athens, they spent their time on nothing else but telling or hearing something new. And so they they invited and they pulled and they brought him to a place called the Oropagus. Now the Oropagus is where all of the key leaders in the city would gather to discuss religious education and philosophical things. And so they said, "Tell us what you're teaching. We we haven't heard this before." And one of the things Paul would do is if he's talking to a Jewish audience, he would start with talking about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know him, right? Okay, good. We've got some common ground. He has manifested himself in the person of Jesus. He would say, "God has revealed himself in the Messiah." He would do that with Jewish audiences. This is not a Jewish audience. This is a Greek audience, a Hellenistic culture. So, Paul is going to start where they are. He wants to tell them about Jesus. He wants to reveal tons of scripture to them that shows that Jesus is everything he's ever promised himself to be. But he starts by simply saying, I absolutely love and respect that you are very religious. You're very religious, you're very intellectual, you're very educated. And he says that in verse 22, but in verse 23 he says, and you know the example of how I know this is there are not only a bunch of idols throughout the city because you want to worship God, but there's even an idol to an unknown God. Like you literally have an empty altar that is prescribed to worship the unknown God. And in their culture they believed in so many deities and they weren't sure which one was the one true God that they even had an altar for any God that they might have accidentally left out. They didn't want to offend that deity or that God. And when I was in Nepal in 2012, when we landed at the airport and when we drove from, Nepal is heavily Buddhist, heavily Hindu, uh, when we were traveling from the airport to the pastor's house, we were there to invest in encourage and pour into pastors. Um, you, your eyes are trying to take in things that you've never seen before. And, and there was a tree, a big tree, like, a, like almost like one of our big oak trees next to a, a row of houses. And there was red ribbons wrapped around the trunk of the tree. And at the bottom of the tree, there was a rather large plate of food. It was sitting in the dirt and sitting in the mud, and there was a plate there, and it had uh, looked like some meat on it and some rice and some vegetables. And, and I just asked the pastor, I said, hey, can you, can you just interpret for me what that is? And he said, yeah, in the Hindu faith, there's over 300,000 gods. There's over 300,000 gods, and so what that family has done is They are worshiping a God they believe dwells in that tree or has influence right here in this area. And so they've offered the best they can to this God. And so they purchased food and they set it down there to honor this God. And he said, you know what's heartbreaking about that? He said, in in Hinduism, over 300,000 gods, none of the gods have ever revealed themselves to do something benevolent for one of their followers. And you never really know as a follower if you've done enough to please the gods. You never know if you measure up. So that family put that out there, and he said, Aaron, that's probably two weeks' worth of income. That's that's a pretty robust plate. So now that family has to figure out, we've honored this God, and we don't have food for ourselves, and what if by offering worship to this God, we've offended another God? He said, "You, you can't ever be sure if you've measured up, and you don't know if you've done enough to please the God that you are pursuing, the God that you are worshiping. And so he said, there's always the innate desire for them to worship and acknowledge a God they may not even know about. And immediately when he explained that, I thought of Acts 17. That was so much like Athens. That's so much like Kathmandu. People who want to worship a divine creator, they know inside of them that we were created to worship something. Isn't that what those idols demonstrate? Ecclesiastes 3.11 says this. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God has placed eternity in the hearts of men. He's made everything appropriate in its time, and he's put eternity in people's hearts no one can discover the work God has done from beginning to end. That you and I and the people 2,000 years ago in Athens and the people six years ago in Kathmandu and the people in Nashville, Tennessee were created by a divine creator to know him and to long for him and to worship him and to give him the value that he deserves as the creator and us being the created. And, and listen, you, you may think this is Athens 2,000 years ago. What does that have to do with us today? Well, I want to tell you something. The longer the earth exists and the longer culture develops, the more it actually looks like the first century. The more it actually looks like the first century, and this is very relevant to us. We literally are living in the Athens of the South. There are so many great universities here. There's so much learning and health care and construction and architecture and industry and fashion and entertainment. There's, there's so many great things going on. And there are so many people in our city worshiping any number of idols. And maybe they don't fasten them or shape them or bow down to them. But how many of us have worshiped our careers? I mean, have you ever put your career in the place that really only belongs to God in your life? And if it goes away, you're lost. How many of us have put our worship or we've idolized relationships? Relationships are good. At the core of what it means to be human is that we were created for relationship. But how many of us have put our value and our identity in a relationship? One of the things we're discussing in our home and one of the prayers I have for our sons and and for my daughter is that she would know, listen, it'd be great to have a boyfriend one day and it'd be great to have a husband who loves you and respects you and gives you compliments, but you do not need that to have identity. You don't need that to have worth. For my boys look I want you to work hard because God gave you he gave you muscles and he gave you strength and you're healthy so give it everything you got and use your, your body and your mind and your brain and if your boss tells you that's awesome well done then enjoy that but if he doesn't that doesn't mean you don't measure up and it doesn't mean your identity or your worth is lacking because someone else didn't give you that value We want people to find that in the person of Jesus Christ. And there are people in our city. There are probably people in this room who are looking for that, and it can only be provided by Jesus. Maybe we just didn't know that was his name. And the people there don't know who it is that they're looking for. And so Paul acknowledges, like, you are searching, and I applaud that. But let me acknowledge your ignorance. In other words, like, you do not know who Jesus is. So Paul tells them in verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. Let us worship our God for just a moment in church on Sunday. He is Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in shrines made by hands. How hilarious that we might think God needs a temple or a church building to dwell among us and worship with us. He does not live or wor- or dwell in shrines like what they had created for their gods. Neither is he served by human hands, in verse 25, as though he needed anything. In other words, you don't need to bring anything to God to validate his existence. He exists before you were here, and he brought you into being, and he does not need you to provide anything for him. Now, when we serve and we minister and when we offer our acts of worship to God, that's pleasing to him, that honors him, that acknowledges you're God and we're not, but he doesn't need those things from us. He doesn't need that from us to function and to be purposeful. And so Paul told them, everyone has life and breath and all things, And from one man, that's Adam in verse 26, God has made every nationality, that's on purpose, that means, hey, Greek people, he loves you, he created you, he created Jewish people, he created every race, every ethnicity, all of us stamped in the image of God. Let us never forget that. Paul said he made every nationality to live over the whole earth, and he's determined their appointed times, he's numbered your days. And the boundaries of where you live, he places you in cities and locations and schools and communities for his purpose. In verse 27, he did this. He made you and gave you life and all things so that you might seek him. So that you might know him. The pinnacle of creation is humanity. Adam and Eve. Of all the things God created, he said, that is what I'm most proud of. That is what I love the best. And all he wanted was a relationship with humans to create people so that he could dwell with them in relationship. And even after the fall in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter three, our world is beautiful, but it's broken. Things don't work like they should. People deal with challenges and obstacles that we wish they wouldn't, but he still wants relationship with them. My son this week, sometimes, you know, kids will ask like the most random biblical questions, right? At the most inopportune times. I will tell you this, on the moments parents in the room, on the moments I have had planned out and prepared, deep spiritual moments, like the kids never seem to want to engage, but they always bring things up when you're never ready. But as a mentor of mine told me, look, even if you feel unprepared and you have to say, let me circle back on that, when they're ready, take advantage of it, because they don't ask often. And my son said, Dad, how come Methuselah was that old? It's like the most random thing in the afternoon in the car on the way to football practice. Like, how come Methuselah was that old? First thought is, where well, you been reading about Methuselah? Obviously in Genesis. How did you know he was that old? And if you do not know who Methuselah is, he's the oldest person that's ever lived. Nine hundred and sixty-nine years, nine centuries worth of life. And my first thought was, I, I don't know, buddy. I don't know. I mean, I can't pretend to explain why God allowed that, but all I can say is this. I was thinking to myself, whatever God wanted to do in and through Methuselah, he could have done in 100 years. He could have done in 30 years. God can do whatever he wants and accomplish whatever he wants in a finite time period. I said, buddy, the only thing I can think of is that even after Genesis 3, even in a broken world, he still wanted to live in relationship with people that 900 years gave him nine centuries to be friends with Methuselah. And to be in relationship with Him. And that's what God wants more than anything else for people to be in relationship with Him. And He's revealed Himself to us. And we worship Jesus on a Sunday morning at the church at Avenue South to say everything that can be known about God is revealed in the person of Jesus. He's revealed Himself. He reveals Himself in Scripture. And He gives us the opportunity to engage Him. He's already revealed Himself. Question is do we want to know Him? Do we want relationship with Him? And that's what verse 27 says. He did this so that they might seek God and that you might find him. And so one of the things that we have the opportunity to do is to be planted in the places where we live, work, and play so that we can introduce people to Jesus. I mean, isn't that why churches exist? There's a lot of good things we do, okay? There's a lot of great things we do, fellowship. There's a lot of great things discipleship-wise, like information, knowledge about who God is, doctrine, theology. Uh, There's a lot of great things we do. But in total, the whole reason that God put us, the people of God, that's humans, in this location of brick and mortar on this street in this city is so that we might introduce people to Jesus Christ. That is what we're called to do. And so you start where people are. Like the gentleman at the tent store, you start where they are. He's just asking me how I'm doing. But I'm thinking to myself, I am here to introduce you to Jesus I'm here to introduce you to Jesus. And again, I didn't say that. That'd be a little odd probably to him, but I'm here to introduce you to Jesus. My question to you is, do you live in a manner where you feel as if you are planted in your school, in your community, in your workplace to introduce people to Jesus? Because if you're a follower of God through your faith in Jesus, I'm telling you, you're there to introduce people to Jesus so that they might seek him and they might find him. The prophet Isaiah says his ear is strong enough to hear when people call out to him. And his arm is long enough to tear down any barrier, reach through any circumstance, to reach out and grab hands that are are reaching out to him. So we exist to introduce people to Jesus. And you start where they are. You just start talking about what they're interested in. And one of the most incredible things I have learned throughout this journey of having gospel conversations is, oftentimes people don't care about hearing you quote scriptures or tell them how good God is until you take the time to learn their story and at least appreciate who they are and what they're dealing with. So one of the things the Lord's humbled me over the last 15 years, Aaron, do a lot less talking, do a whole lot more listening. Get to know people, listen to their stories, seek to understand them. And as they engage you about work, life, relationships, then work the gospel, translate the gospel into where they are. I want to invite Hunter Melton up to the platform. Uh, Hunter preached last Sunday uh, while I was out of town. And we have, using a sports metaphor, your, your, your bench or your players and everybody on the field is very deep in this church and I'm grateful for this man and his leadership and everybody else on staff. Um, and so I wanted to add, thanks for preaching last week. I'm so grateful for your teaching and, and to, to be under your teaching when you're here doing that. But you were with a couple of our members who were in Boston, Massachusetts last week, meeting people where they are. You, you want to walk up to them and be like, I want you to know Jesus because I really want you to go to heaven. I want you to know him now. But you got to start where they are. So would you just give a real literal example of having gospel conversations with people and meeting them where they are? Absolutely. Well, as Aaron said, I was in Boston with a few of our
1: college students uh, this past week, and we were on the campus of Northeastern University, uh, and we were also on the campus of MIT. Now, I don't think I have the IQ to set foot on the campus of MIT, uh, but I was there, and what was interesting is, is the BCM director, Baptist Collegiate Ministry director there was very intentional to say, you have got to be low-key about the way that you share your faith. Like almost this needs to be kind of an, um, like an undercover kind of operation, closed country kind of deal. So we ended up teaching English to a bunch of, and this is still crazy to me, a bunch of postdoctoral students which means that, they, that means they already had their PhDs from some foreign country, and now they came to MIT to do advanced studies. Guys, that's crazy. I barely passed chemistry one in high school, right? And so I want to throw a picture up on the screen. Uh, there is, so that's our group right there. It might be difficult for you to see, but there is a man named Long Fei, and Long Fei was a, a postdoctoral student from China, and he was studying the way that red, red blood cells clear out your body of, uh, I guess, I don't know, dirt or whatever, right? Like, I mean, he he was there to study all this kind of good stuff, right? He would say it in a lot more of an articulate way than I would. So, I'm in ministry. I'm not a science teacher. Um, So what's interesting is, is Long Fei... Longfei had been coming to this uh, to to learn how to speak English, and he wanted to talk to American uh, students. Now, Billy Mahaffey is one of our college students, and Billy sat down and started talking to Longfei. And Billy is an American 18-year-old, and Longfei is from China, who is a postdoctoral student. Uh, Billy is a freshman at Belmont. And what was interesting was, was that Billy did not immediately go up and uh, beat him over the head with the Bible. But Billy consistently was in his life for that one week. And what was interesting was, was the last day that we were there, um, Long Fei had said, Billy, you have taught me so many things about what it means to be uh, an American. I can see that there are many differences, but there's, there's a difference. like you, you have something that's, that's not tangible, and I want something that's tangible, but you have something not tangible. And I watched a 15 minute conversation turn into a 30 minute conversation, turn into a 45 minute conversation where Long Fei had said, I had never even thought about faith before. Thank you for telling me. And I just thought that was a beautiful picture of a microcosm, a snapshot of life that happened in one week. And God used an 18 year old freshman at Belmont University to influence a postdoctoral student from China. I thought, that's the kingdom
0: of yeah. God. Hunter, thanks for sharing that. It's an incredible story of like you and I often want to have everything figured out. How's the Lord going to bridge this gap? How are they going to kind of like, you never know how God has been at work before you have a gospel conversation with someone. He may have been working in their heart for well over two decades, and he is simply waiting on that opportunity to bring that faith to fruition through you initiating a gospel conversation. And Billy, with Long Fade just started talking about who he was, what's he doing, what's he interested in, started with him and his story, and in 45 minutes led to a conversation about faith and about who Jesus is. And a gospel seed was planted, and we have no idea what's going to happen with that. But you and I are not called to provide results to God. You and I are not called and held accountable for results of whether or not someone comes to faith. We're called and held accountable to be faithful to share the good news of Jesus with others and trust the Holy Spirit with the results. Here in our church, there's a gospel conversations board right through these glass doors. When you leave, you're going to see it. If you've never been with us before, you're going to notice it. And we're going to leave it up after this sermon series concludes today. We're going to leave it up. And every time you have a gospel conversation with someone, and like Billy putting a pin-up out there for his conversation with Long Faye. Now Billy can pray for Long Faye, but he can put a pin-up there that is something we should celebrate. We're scattering seeds in our city and around the nation and around the world, and we're trusting God with the results. That's what we're called to do, inter- introduce people to Jesus so that they might seek him, find him, and discover everything they've been looking for. They just didn't know his name was Jesus. Now I pray that when you and I meet Jesus, and we won't have to have faith anymore, Because we'll see him and we can touch him. I pray that we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I didn't ask you to be held accountable for the results or whether people responded. I asked you to have gospel conversations with others. Start where they are, build a friendship with them, but have that burning desire and that burden for their brokenness and their lostness welling up inside of you so that you share the gospel with them. And that's what he's called us to do. And it's as simple as the illustration Hunter just shared with us. But you know people in your life right now. You know people in your life right now you can share the gospel with. So here's one of the things that we're going to do. Um, I'm going to encourage you to bow your head and close your eyes.